This morning, um, I want to spend about uh, 30 minutes here just talking about the tornado relief. Uh, Trace has already said something. You saw just a reminder there, but um, I, I don't have time to tell you everything I would like to tell you, but there's a lot of people still out there hurting. I, I, there's some stories I, I could share with you right now, just people we've touched just in the last, since Thursday, probably uh, four or five brand new stories of, of, of uh, families that, that we've uh, been personally connected to just in, the, just in the past few days. I don't have time to tell you about all this, but ask me. I'll be glad to tell you. And, and let me say this. Um, <laughs> Trace said something last Sunday, and he said, he said God spoke this to him. And I can't get away from this, and I pray you can't either. When God spoke to him and said, don't let this, talking about this church thing that we do for an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half, don't let this be the last Christian thing you do this week. And I, I can't get away from that, and all week long I've been thinking about that and thinking about that and wondering. And so, you know, in uh, probably about 45 minutes for some of you, your Christianity is over for the week. You don't have anything else to do for Christ. Don't let it be that way. Uh, we, we've, got, we've got teams that are still going out this week. And listen, we've got a lot of needs that if you don't have time or you've got kids and you can't get away, that kind of thing, you've got to work or whatever, we've got financial needs that you can give toward. Uh, I've got two, two, uh, two gifts that we've got to take to someone this afternoon. Uh, uh, if you saw my tweets, you see all these needs. I mean, and, and literally, I, I'm fighting the urge because I keep, I keep thinking about this story. I want to tell you this story. I want to tell you this story. Yesterday, we I had some guys. We went one place. We ended up not working there. Went to another place and worked. And you know, and I, 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 was, I was tired. I was worn out. And I was thinking, you know what? This really wasn't the way I wanted to spend my Saturday. But then I kept looking at that 80-year-old man who was glad somebody was helping clean up his backyard, the men that were from 2911 that showed up that day. And I thought, you know what? This isn't the way he wanted to spend his last week and a half and his next six months or maybe six years or whatever he's got left. So don't forget. Please don't forget. That's why it's on our sign out front. That's why Trace mentioned it to you. That's why I mentioned it to you right now. Don't forget. Your life may be back to normal. Theirs isn't. I was out of power for 24 hours. Real, real, real inconvenience, right? Their lives are turned upside down for years. Who knows how long? So please, and if, you got, if you'd like to be involved in something, please let me know. Okay, I, I, I don't have time to... to to continue to talk about that, but I, I, just, I just felt like, even though it's Mother's Day, I felt like I had to bring that back to your attention. Do not get comfortable that everything's all right because it's not all right. Okay, let me just say a happy Mother's Day real quick to everybody. We're going to get into our message this morning on RISPA. Anybody know who RISPA is besides the people who were here in the early service? Y'all know who RISPA is? Uh, I actually preached about RISPA last, last Mother's Day, and a couple of weeks ago, God started this one of those nights I was up, you know, doing this, and, and David, you know, rolls over and sees that little light from my phone, and I'm typing notes as God's speaking this new stuff about RISPA to me, and, and so I want to share with you some, some new thoughts from RISPA this, uh, this morning about a great mom, and uh, a lot of things about her, maybe not, but a lot of things were, so let's have a word of prayer and get into this message on RISPA. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for great moms. I thank you, God, for the, the great moms of 2911. Thank you, God, for the great moms in my life that I had, my mother, my grandmothers, and God's spiritual moms that I had in church when I was growing up, people that I could count on, aunts, Lord, that, that were there for me and, and uh, just taught me, God, challenged me. Lord, I thank you for them, and, and God, we've got some great moms here, and God, I just ask you to make them greater. God, we've got some great moms in the making here, Lord, around us. And I pray, God, that you just finish 
what you've begun them. And God, this is such a such an awesome challenge, Lord. And I mean, awesome. And sometimes that it is it is overwhelming to some moms. Sometimes, Lord, I pray for those moms that have felt nearly overwhelmed, God, that they they felt like this is too awesome a task. For them to uh, to finish, Lord, I pray, God, give them some strength and encouragement. God, let them know, Lord, that uh, through this message today, God, the challenge that is here today, God, that we're believing in them, God, that we we understand they have a very important place, a very important part in our lives, God. We got to have them, God. We've got to have them rise up to the place. Lord, you called them to, not just because they had a child, but you have actually called them to this. And so we ask you, God, we ask you for an anointing for our moms, God, that they, that they, don't, just, they don't just act like moms, but God, they are really anointed to be moms and chosen by you, God, to, to raise us, to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, Lord. I pray, God, in Jesus' name, and Lord, uh, that every one of our moms would be encouraged somehow today, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, so now about... Rizpah, okay? And we're going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 21, I believe, and going to read this story a little bit. Now, Rizpah's only mentioned in this and maybe, I think, one other chapter in the whole Bible. So, uh, you know, kind of by the end of this message, you're going to know just about, just about everything there is to know about Rizpah, maybe, okay? So, now there was a famine in the days of King David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites, Okay? First of all, David was right in asking God, what's wrong? Okay, we got a famine, so what's, what's wrong? What's going on here? So uh, the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now, we, we see where God says, okay, here's the problem. Saul killed the Gibeonites. He tried to wipe them off the face of the map. He tried to just get rid of them. But God didn't say, go ask the Gibeonites what to do to make this right. Now, I'm not saying God didn't say that, but we're not saying that he did. Okay, he did right in asking God what's wrong. God told him what's wrong, but now he's kind of—it looks like he's going out on his own, and he's saying, "Okay, give me a night. Tell us what. Tell me what you want me to do." Okay, and I—I I, I think he might have just—I I believe he might have messed up just a little bit here by asking on his own and getting out there just a little too far. And we'll—and and this is the tragedy of this story. Now, the Gibeonites—they were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? So you know, we don't have any, direct, any uh, place where it's pointed out that God told him to ask them, What do you want me to do? But he did. The Gibeonites said, we don't want any silver, we don't want any gold from Saul or for his house. You don't kill any man in Israel for us. So David again said, well, whatever you say, I will do for you. Now that's a dangerous thing, isn't it? I mean, that's a blank check, isn't it? Do you ever tell anybody, whatever you say, I will do for you? Have you ever told anybody that? I mean, that's a dangerous thing, isn't it? I mean, you ever find somebody that's got a car to sell and you say, hey, I want this car and I will pay you whatever you want for this car. Have you, anybody ever said that? Uh, if so, I've got a couple of cars I'd like to sell you this afternoon, okay? I mean, you don't do that, right? But that's what David did. So here, here, here's the open door of the tragedy of the situation. So they answered the king and they said, as for the man, talking about King Saul, who consumed us and plotted against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, 
Let seven men of his descendants, seven of his sons, grandsons, great-grandsons, whatever you got, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord and give you of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. And they're going to hang them up. Uh, we don't know if they hung them in a tree, if they hung them on a cross, if they impaled them on the, the, you know, the, the poles you know, like, like they did, but they somehow killed them and hung them up, hung their bodies up before the Lord as, as, a, as a, an offering. But the king spared Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And uh, that's, that was mentioned there because the king took Armani and Mephibosheth, not, the same, not that other Mephibosheth, this is a different one, if you know the story of Mephibosheth, because these were the two sons of Rizpah. Okay, that's the lady we're going to speak about this morning. Rizpah, the daughter of Ea, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholothite. And uh, those five sons of Michael, they are not hers, in case you know the story of Michael and how she didn't have any children of her own, but she brought up five sons for someone else. Uh, and so he took those, those two sons of Rizpah, the, two, uh, the five sons of uh, Michael that she was raising for someone else, and David delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. There's an important reason for you to know this timeline, so you will know how long Rizpah did this great thing that she did. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Ea, took sackcloth. Now how many of you know what sackcloth is? You got any of it at home? Did you bring some with you? Uh, no, I brought some. Okay, best thing we got, really, anything closest to it is just burlap, just plain old burlap. You know, we used to, we used to do potato sack races in uh, bags made out of these, you know, just plain old burlap. So I got some burlap. So here's what she did. She took sackcloth. Why did she take this? I mean, you know, if I'm going to make a bed, first of all, I'm going to get, you know, the softest stuff I got. She took burlap. And, and so the reason they did that kind of thing back in those days is this, this was to show, uh, you know, it's kind of like fasting in a way. I'm going to, you know, not fast food, but I'm going to fast my comfort. I want you to know how serious I am about this, God. I'm going to sleep out here with burlap you know, for a bed covering, for, for bed sheets. I'm going to sleep out here with burlap, with, with sackcloth. And so they took, she took sackcloth and she spread it for herself on her easy chair. No, she, she didn't spread it for herself on an easy chair. She didn't drag a cot out there. She didn't have a mattress that she made. She spread it out on a rock. I think there's a couple reasons she did that. One is it's easier to sit on a rock than it is to sit on the ground, you know. And so I think she did that first of all because she was going to sit there. But she spread it out there also because that was going to be her bed. You know, because she had shown up to do something. Her, her, her sons had been killed. Her sons were being, had been killed, and now they were hanging between heaven and earth. And so she had something to do. And she was going to be there. She was going to be there for a while. Yesterday when we were in that man's backyard, after we were there a couple of hours, you know, I, you know, I don't know. When I first saw his yard, I thought, you know, well, we'll work on this one for a while, and then we'll go to the next door, you know, whatever. After I'd been there a couple hours, you know what I figured out? We weren't going to get finished yesterday, you know. And after we had lunch, and maybe about another hour after, I told the rest of the guys that, and I said, if, you know, I'm ready when you guys are ready, you know, worn out. i got other things we got to do and see about before church tomorrow. And so, you know, we realized we weren't going to get finished yesterday. And we left and we came home. We had other things to do, other people to connect with, other, other needs that had to be seen too. And we got church today. You know, we got Mother's Day this afternoon. But not Rispa. Not Rispa. She didn't have an attitude of, I'm not going to get finished today. Her attitude was, I'm bringing, 
I'm bringing my sackcloth. I'm bringing my, you know, whatever I'm going to make to make my bed, and I'm going to spread it out here on the rock. This is going to be my bed. I am here for the duration until it's over, until everything's handled. I'm not going to be here for a couple of hours, make everybody feel better about the situation, and go at home. Rispa said, no, I'm here until it's done. And so she spread it out on the, on the rock. I, I think one of the reasons she probably slept on a rock, you know, where she took a nap. And if a beast wanted to come up and chew on the bodies of, of, these, of these seven men, you know, at least the beast would see her a little bit, maybe ward some of them off even, even that way. And she, laid, she spread it there on the rock, from the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. From the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on those bodies out of heaven. She was there. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. What would you do in a situation, Mom? What would you do in a situation? For four or five months, this is what Rizpah did. What would you do? Well, first of all, let's, let's think about what did Michael do? You know, Michael was the mother of five of these, right? Now, she was not the biological mother, but she raised these five. But what did Michael do? Did y'all see it there? I didn't see anything. I, I didn't see Michael's name mentioned other than the fact that she was connected to these guys. She didn't do a thing. She had washed her hands of the whole situation. You know, and, and uh, you know, there's this scripture in the New Testament that talks about uh, uh, those that don't have natural affection. And I know that's talking about something else, but I have always thought about that in context with, with abortion. I mean, there's no more natural affection than a mom and her child. And so I've always thought about that, and that connection is how easily our society has been able to, to, to just cut that bond. But it goes on beyond that because these days, and you know, and I'm not really an old man, regardless of what some of you youngsters around here think. I'm not really an old man, and I can't talk about, you know, history as far as watching history, but I can tell you about some history just of my life. And I have just seen just a change in, in so many young mothers today that it's so easy for mothers to just... Like, cut off their kids. I mean, to just cut that. Well, just wash their hands. They've made their bed, let them lie in it. Kind of an attitude of just letting them go on and do their own thing. Uh, just, and that, that's, a, that's an unnatural affection, to, to, not, to not even have that natural affection that, that bonds you even beyond the grave. Because, see, that's the problem with Michael. Is Michael said, hey, I, just, I was just here to raise them. And she raised them until they died, and she was done. And so some of us, we think, well, it's over. There's nothing else to do. Not Rizpah. Now, Rizpah, I, I like how somebody paraphrased this. They said, Rizpah rose up. And that's why uh, you got the title that you have this morning is Rise Up. We need moms. Come on, somebody help me. We need moms to rise up again. We need moms to rise up to the challenge that God has given you to be moms. I don't envy you, moms. And you young ladies that don't have, ki don't have kids yet, I wish several of you a happy Mother's Day in advance. You know, the five, ten years from now, you're going to be moms. I don't envy you. It's not an easy task. You have, you have a, a much harder task in so many ways than I've had as a dad and even as a granddad. I don't envy you. It's a tough task, but we need you to rise up uh, this this uh, this country needs moms to rise up again. Our kids need their moms to rise up again. I mean, we, we need you to rise back up to the place. And Rizpa, Rizpa knew, and it wasn't that she was just trying to find something for her hands to do. Now that you know she was not going to be knitting any more booties because you know her, her kids were her kids were dead, and there wouldn't be any grandkids coming. It wasn't just that she was trying to find something to do. It was the fact that she knew there still was something to do. And even beyond the place, I, I know this, this, this moment of death looks like hope is over, but even beyond the place where, uh, of where everybody else thinks hope is over, a true mom, a great mom, uh, an anointed mom understands that there's still something to do. And Rizpah rose up. 
She rose to the challenge that God had given her. She rose to the place that God had called her to be as a mom. I mean, this is, this is way beyond. I, I mean, really, really, I, I look at this and I, I, just, I just think it, in a spiritual context, moms have a, just, are just going to have a bigger crown in heaven one day for the place that they, the, the, the part that they, the, the role that they have played in their kids' lives. I believe that God is honoring them because, is going to honor them because of the things that they can and they, they shall do and should be doing. If they, if they fulfill it. And so many aren't. So many like Michael are just, that's all there is to it, but not Rizpah. And I'm challenging you, moms, please. Please rise up because your kids need you to rise up. Rise from your naivete. You know, so, so many moms are, I, I mean, uh, this has always been a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, you know, when parents don't notice what their kids are doing. You know, like, like you're trying to eat a meal and, and uh, their kids are climbing around you know, people that you don't know from another table and their kids are climbing around under your feet, under your table to get whatever it was that they dropped or spilled on you, you know, whatever. You know, and they don't, because here's one of the pet peeves that I have. You know, first of all, I think they ought to be paying attention then. But what I understand is as those kids grow up, they still don't pay attention. They still don't realize what's going on. And as, the, you know, right now it's a spilled drink on, an, on, on a stranger. But one day it's going to be something else and mom's not paying attention. Dad's not paying attention. You know, and when friends are introducing new things into their lives that shouldn't be introduced, moms are oblivious to it because they've got their own little place. They're, they're involved in something else. You know, uh, you know, they're old enough to do on their own. We need, we need moms to rise up from their naivete again. It would be easy for, for, for Rizpah to have said, well, you know, I'm just not into the political scene, and this is all a political decision. But can you imagine a mom saying something like that? That's about what Michael did. And that's about what a lot of mothers are doing today. But moms, we need you to rise back up to the place that God has called you to be and get out of your naive take. Can I, can I just be really blunt with some of you today? Okay, those of you who don't want me blunt, will you stick your fingers in the ear, okay, because you don't want to hear this. But moms, I'm going to tell you, it is your responsibility. When your 13-year-old girl walks out the doors of your house into a world full of perverts, it is your responsibility to make sure she is dressed like a 13-year-old and she doesn't look like a 19-year-old. Can somebody say amen and help me there? And I, let me tell you, it is not my responsibility. Yes, it is my responsibility as a dad. But it is not my responsibility beyond yours. You are the mom. You're the connection that is there. My wife can tell you. I, I, I had to glance away from her for a few moments while I was saying this in early service. But I... I I don't even know if I could tell you what, I think it was black and white, but I don't even know if I could tell you what my wife had on today, much less what my, you know, what my daughter might have headed out the door. I, I mean, it's, it's not that it doesn't bother me sometimes if I see, uh, see a young lady dressed in a way she shouldn't be dressed. But it's like, I, I, I'm not paying attention in that way. I'm a guy. You know, we guys, we pay attention to other things. It's like, it's like uh, Cliff said yesterday, this 80-year-old man, the one thing he was most concerned about in his backyard is that we gathered all of his fishing tackle and we got it back into his boat. You know, that, you know, we, we've got our own things that we're focused on. Come on, men, say amen. And your, and your wives can say, that's right. Uh-huh, yeah, get, you need to get you focused on some right things. Mom, you're the ones that know. And we need, to, we need you to rise out of your naivete again. And remember this. Remember that everybody that lives out there in that world that is so messed up, that world that is full of perverts, they don't see this little 13 or 12 or 10-year-old girl as your little special treasure that you're raising to love God. And when she looks like a 19-year-old, they're not thinking, yeah, well, you know, like some of you may think, oh, she's just a sweet little precious 12-year-old. Isn't it sweet how she dresses up and looks like a 19-year-old? That's not what they're thinking. Those perverts out there are thinking, that's an opportunity for me. 
And we need to rise up out of our naivete and understand. Like you, uh, this privacy issue. Yeah, you heard, my goodness, 20 years ago when I was a youth pastor. Uh, 17, 18, 19, 20 years ago when I was a youth pastor. And I used to hear these parents say this. So, well, I just, you know, I just believe that that's their place of privacy in their bedroom. Their bedroom. Are, are they paying rent on that bedroom they, they, they live in in your house? Do they have a lease? You know, I, I mean, do they have a job and they're, they're renting that? That's not their bedroom. That's your bedroom. It might, it might have their name across the door. But you're renting that place. You're providing that place. And I'm talking to dads a little bit here too now. You're renting that place, or you're buying that place, or what? But it's your place that you allow them to live. And you know, back then, 20 years ago, you know, 15 years ago, and it began to worry me when I started seeing when I started seeing kids, teenagers, have computers in their rooms behind closed doors, connected to internet and everything out there in the world at their fingertips often without any kind of filters or anything that would, that would protect them from the things that, that, that could be right there in front of their eyes in just a moment. And I used to, and, you know, it used to just drive me crazy that I couldn't get parents to understand. Tell me, what kind of privacy does an eight-year-old need to have? You know, what, what kind of privacy? You don't need your eight-year-old to, be, to have the kind of privacy that some pervert can connect with them over the internet or, or text or messages or whatever. You don't need that. They don't need that kind of privacy. Of course, you, you were wiping their rear end when they were a baby and cleaning up their diapers and those things. And as they started growing older, you started teaching them kind of how to do that themselves. And so, yeah, there are some hygiene privacy issues as kids grow older. But there's not this kind, there's not supposed to be this kind of absolute privacy that'll put them in a place of being able to be taken advantage of. And now, you know, it used to worry me that we had computers behind the closed doors of their bedrooms. But today, today, how many of you have a smartphone? Raise your hand. How many of you have a phone? Come on, raise your hand. You got a phone that you can connect to the internet, you got a smartphone. You know what? You're carrying pornography in your pocket right now. It's connected to pornography right this very second. All you've got to do is you just got to punch in the right code. All you've got to do is you've got to punch in the right web address. It's all you've got. It's right there in your pocket. And you know what? We're buying these to our kids and we're putting them in their pocket, hanging them on their hip and sending them out the door. We're sending them out the door with pornography. We're sending them out the door with the opportunity. Who are they texting? Tell me. Do you know? You're supposed to know mom and dad. And who's texting them? Because you know what? You don't even have to have a smartphone. All you have to, all you have to have is some kind of messaging capability on that phone. And the thing, the thing that scares me to death, and thank God I'm no longer raising kids. I'm just praying with my kids over their, their kids. I don't know how you police that. You know, I know how to make, you know, I know how to make sure the door's never closed on their bedroom if they got a computer in there. I know how to put the family computer in a family room where people are watching it. I know how to put fill. I don't know how you police all these kids walking around with computers in their hands today, able to, able to, uh, to, to view anything in the whole world they want to view and able for people, perverts all over this world to be able to connect with them in just a moment. I don't know how you police that. That's why we need moms to rise back up because you cannot fix that just physically. You're good. Moms, come on. You're going to have to rise up like, like, a, like Rizpah did. You're going to have to, and when the demons start showing up, you're going to have to get a hold of some of that sackcloth. You're going to have to get a hold of some of that burlap and say, uh-uh, 
not on my kid. When the vultures start swooping down and trying to take over their body, you're going to say, ah, not on my kid. Come on, we need some moms to rise up because we're not going to win this battle with a few filters and a few rules about how you're going to use your computer and your cell phone. Moms are going to have to one more time rise up with a power of prayer and believe God to set their kids free and build a hedge of protection around them that even when they walk out the door, the power of God is still around them and protecting them. Amen? I thank God that I'm not having to raise kids anymore today. And I know some of you say, man, you old. You already, you are, man, you're getting old, not even wanting. You're glad you passed that. I look at the stuff that you're going to have to deal with. Oh, God, you've got to rise up, Mom. You can't stay. You can't stay in this place of it'll just be all right. You got to get out of your complacency. You see, Rizpa, she was out there, and it didn't say that she only protected those two. She protected all seven, even those five weren't hers. She protected all seven, and five weren't. Did anybody get that? And we got this attitude of, well, they're not my kids. But you need to look around. Moms, if you were here last, last Mother's Day, I challenged you with something. And I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands because most of us would be embarrassed. I challenged you with finding a young lady around here and you look around and say, wait a minute, their mom's not in church. Their mom doesn't come with them. And some of them, we got a couple of ladies that their moms go to church elsewhere, but a lot of the young ladies and young men in our church They don't have anybody at home that is encouraging them to live for God. They don't have anybody at home that pulls them up to their side every once in a while, puts an arm around them and says, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I want you to know I believe in you. We need some moms. We need some spiritual grandmothers. And some of you ladies that you're not even a mother yet, we need you to rise up and be a spiritual mother to some of our young ladies and young men who don't have anybody praying. We've got them in. We've got them sitting here right now. We've got them in our kids' church right now. And they don't have anybody that's praying for them. And I challenged you last year. I challenged you to find somebody before the service was over. And I challenge you to do it again today. Before this service is over. You you need to find a young lady. Mom, you need to find a young lady somewhere or even a a young boy somewhere and just pull them off to the side. Put your arm around them and say, I want you to know no matter what you're facing this week, I'm going to be praying for you. You need, we need some moms to reconnect. And I'm talking about some spiritual moms to reconnect with some of our kids that don't have moms who are leading them and knowing Jesus Christ. In the last week and a half, we've been crying over kids that lost their moms. You heard some of the stories, right? This, this, little, this little baby, this infant, a month old, whose mom passed away. In, I, think, I think it was Pleasant Grove or Concord who passed away. And this baby will never know its mom. And we cried over those stories. But can I tell you something? That didn't begin on five, at 5.13 p.m. on April the 27th. That wasn't the first time and you know what? There are some of them seated, sitting right here with us today. And maybe they have their mom physically with them, but they don't have a spiritual mom, somebody praying for them. And I challenge, come on, I need some moms. I need some moms to rise up. I need some spiritual grandmothers to rise up today. And listen, here's, here's the bad thing that's going to happen. Some of these little girls and little boys, they're hearing me say this. 
And if they walk out that door today and nobody, not one mom came up beside them and put their arm around them and said, I'm praying for you, they're going to walk out that door and say, that pastor tried to get them to do it and they wouldn't even do it. Nobody cares about me. Moms, I need you to step up today. Some of you who will be future moms, I need you to step up today. We need to rise up to the challenge that God has given us as men and women of God, as parents. By our blindness, we're destroying our children. By our silence, we're destroying our children. You know what it says when you say nothing? You know what it says when you say nothing? You pretty much give license when you say nothing. You know, have you ever had your, your kid come to you later and, you know, or you, you challenged them and they did something wrong and you said, you shouldn't have done that. And they said, well, I told you and you didn't say anything, so I thought it was all right. You ever had your kids say that? If you hadn't yet, they're going to. Just wait. When you say nothing, you're saying it's okay. Yeah? You'll, you'll, have, you'll have that happen. You'll have that happen more places at home too. And when, when, when you say nothing, you're telling your kids it's okay. It's all right. You're complacent. I, I, I don't really care. Mom, it's all, listen, they already think that you're overbearing. They already think that you're overprotective. So just go ahead and live up to the building. I just go ahead and when they say, when they say no, you, my mom's crazy. You won't believe what she makes me do. You won't believe how she tries to protect me. She won't let me grow up. Let, her, let them grow up, mom. But let them grow up at the rate they're supposed to grow up. You're already, they already see you that way. If you're trying to be their best friend, then I got a whole, I got a whole nother sermon for you. That's not what God called you to be. Mom's dad, he didn't call you to be their best friend. He called you to raise them in fear and admonition of the Lord, challenge them to be all that God called them to be, not teach them the way to get around, and not to ignore. we got to rise up out of our complacency. We've got to rise up to our, our calling, our place where God called us. Do you know what the name Rizpah means? Anybody that wasn't in the early service? How many of you know? I bet you don't know if you weren't in the early service or you didn't study this lately. Because even if I told you last week, you probably, or last year, you probably don't remember it. It means this. It means hot coal. Passion. That's what her name meant. And that's exactly what I see. Can you imagine this crazy looking woman? People are walking by for four, five, six months by some estimates. This woman is out there on the hillside, you know, Without any sunscreen, didn't have it back in those days. And every time a bird, every time a wild dog or something comes up, she's running after it, chasing it, screaming, bloody murder. I mean, people probably thought she was crazy. She's up there. Do you know, I don't want to get gross or graphic, but do you know what a human body looks like after it has been dead and baked in the sun for five or six months? And she's still out there doing that. She has risen to the calling of her name. Can, 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 I, can I read you the next four verses of that? And, daughter was, and David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, the concubine of Saul, had done. Five or six months later, David finds out what she's done. David, King David even leaves those bodies hanging up there, but not the mom. 
So David went and took the bones of Saul, the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had sold them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them up after the Philistines had struck down Saul in Gilboa. So he brought up the bones of Saul, the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there. I would have left that previous verse out if I'd known how, how little time I was going to have at this point in the message. But let me say very briefly, if I can, David hadn't taken care of the bones of King Saul and Jonathan either. And Jonathan was his buddy. Jonathan was someone he had sworn to always be his buddy. And he had left Jonathan's bones somewhere else. David hadn't even taken care of King Saul and Jonathan's bones. But by the testimony and the actions of Rizpah, David was convicted in his heart. And he went and got the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan and gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. Rizpah's two sons and the five sons that Michael had been raising. And they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son in the country of Benjamin and Zelah, in the tomb of Kish, his father. So they performed all the king had commanded. And after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. When? When? Not when they were killed six months ago. Not when they were hung before the Lord as an offering, as the Gibeonites said. Just because that's what they said, that doesn't mean what God wanted. That's what God wanted. Just because David did this, that doesn't mean that's what God wanted. I mean, I, I, I got some issues with this that I don't, really, I don't necessarily think this is the way God intended this whole story to play out. I don't necessarily know that King David was righteous in giving up these seven men. I don't think the Gibeonites were necessarily righteous in asking for their death. And it doesn't show us that God honored the killing. It doesn't show us that God honored the death. But what does it show us? It shows us that God honors repentance. It shows us that God honors a mother. Because when, when God stopped the famine, was after David saw what Rizpah had done, after she had spent her five or six months out there doing what was right, and that David took the bones of Saul and Jonathan and these seven other descendants of Saul and buried them like a king and a king's family was supposed to be buried. Then God heard and he healed the land and the famine was stopped. Moms, you don't have any idea what kind of an impact you have. I don't think you even realize. You know what it says out there on our sign on the other side? You know, you ever heard, where would you be without your mom, that kind of thing? Well, that's, why, that's a little play on it. Who would you be without your mother? You ever thought about that? You ever heard the name Dahmer? What do you think of when you hear the name Dahmer? Thank you. Okay, that, that's plenty for me, right? How about Hitler? You ever heard the name Hitler? You know, my name is Rick, Rick Hand. Richard Lane Hand, as a matter of fact, if you never knew my full name. And you know, you know, you know what that means? Well, Rick, you hear Rick Hand, you think, oh, pastor, pastor church 2911, da, 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 that kind of thing, you know. That's what you think. You know why? In a good part because of my mom. That's who I am. That's what my name means. Rick Hand to you means pastor. My name could mean the same thing as Dahmer means. My name could mean the same thing as Hitler means to you. Who would you be without your mom? Moms, you don't even realize the power and the impact that God has put in your hands to mold your kids into what he intends them to be. So what does your name mean, Mom? 
You got a card this morning when you came in, didn't you? In your little little pack of goodies. You, you, got, you, got, a little, you got a little piece of sackcloth. Oh, I really hope. I can take a little more time. I'm sorry, I apologize, but you late, you, you late, you know, latecomers or the late service attenders, I can take a little more time with you because we don't have another service coming up. <laughs> Maybe I encourage some of you to try out 930. <laughs> I hope, I hope you get that little piece of burlap, call it sackcloth, so you'll refer back. I hope you take that little piece of sackcloth and you get in your kids', in your kids bedrooms this week. Thank God I had a mom that I could hear. She's not in here. She doesn't know I'm bragging on her. This isn't about, she's in the nursery right now. Thank God I had a mom. I could hear her laying across her bed with her sackcloth. My dad wasn't a Christian when I was a kid. I could hear her calling his name. I could hear her calling my name. Spiritually, she had her sackcloth. She was, spiritually, she was calling my brother Joey, my brother Kenny's name. Spiritually, she had her sackcloth, and she was running the devils of hell away from, thank God I had a mom like that. I, I expect you, mom, take that piece of sackcloth, get in your, get in your kids' bedrooms. You'll never, you'll never win this battle physically. You'll never put enough filters in their lives to protect them, but you take that sackcloth, you just wave it. You just, you just pray over that. Do it in the middle of the night. Do it while they're at school. Do it sometime. Some of you grandmoms, I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to hear your story in a few weeks about how you've been, how you've been going around, around your kids' houses. Maybe you got in while they were all gone or you just drove by and you just waved the sackcloth as you drove by their house and just drive away the beasts that keep coming after them time and time again. That's why you've got that there, moms. Rise up. Please rise up. What does your name mean? You saw, there, you saw your name on that little card. What does it mean? You need to rise up to what that name means. I saw, uh, didn't know Miss, Misty Trace's mom was going to be here. We got her card printed at the last minute this morning. We found out she was coming. And her name meant do. D-E-W, like Miss do. I thought, oh, you know, I, hey, I can preach a sermon on that. What that name means to her family. Do refreshes. Do glistens. Do, do beautifies. I mean, do, do is an awesome thing. I, man, I can preach about that for a while. Tell me your name. I can preach about it. You know, tell, you know, tell me what it means. I can pre- man, there's, there's a sermon in every one of the meanings of your names. But you know what's more important than what it means? Because especially those of you who are close to my age or maybe a little older, your parents might not have gotten out one of those baby books to find out what the name, and you might, because you know, you look at some of those names and they don't mean nothing, <laughs> you know. But all of our moms had a good meaning to their name. All the ones that we've, we've had this morning had a good meaning to their name. So all, all of you weren't named that on purpose. Rizpah was probably by her parents. They did that kind of thing back in those days. But that's not what, mean, that's not what your name means that's so important today. Here's what it's going to matter. Is one of these days, you know, for some of you young moms, you know, just here around right now, like Rachel, you know, and Caitlin. You know, one of these days when your kids grow up and they, they run into an, another Rachel. And that Rachel is um, proud, arrogant, 
short-tempered, mean-spirited. And, they, and then they say, well, by the way, my name is Rachel. What's your kid going to say? Is your kid going to say, you don't act like a Rachel. You don't act like a Caitlin. Because let me tell you what the name Rachel means to me. What the name Caitlin. You see, it doesn't really matter what's on that card so much. What matters is what your kid think your name means and what it means to them. Rispa, hot coal, passion. Who are you? Who are you supposed to be in your kids' lives? That's what it means to them. Let me say this real quick, close this out. The law was, God's law, not, not just the law of the land, God's law was, those bodies hanging up there, they were not supposed to be hanging by sunset. By sunset, they were supposed to be in the ground somewhere. That's why they hurried. You remember getting Jesus' body off the cross? That's why they, that's why they went and they broke the legs of the two guys on the side of him because they had to get them in the ground because, you know, that was, that was Jewish law. David, King David, the man after God's own heart, was breaking God's law by leaving those bodies up there. He was complacent. He was ignore, ignorant of the fact or just not paying attention or whatever, but he was breaking the law. And their bodies hung there day after day after day after day, breaking God's commandment, breaking his law. For months, their bodies hung there, breaking God's law. And where is Rizva? There were boys are. That's, that's the anointing of a great mom. That wherever her kids are, that's where she is. And, and, and miles, miles don't matter, do they, Sister Baker? All the way in Miami and in the hands of a surgeon in Japan, under the threat of a nuclear accident, miles don't matter. Wherever the kids are, that's where a great mother is. In her prayers, in her thoughts, in her anointing, waving her burlap. Get off my kids. You got to leave them alone. Oh, thank God, Bruce. Your mom was waving sackcloth. Thank God. Can, can anybody say, thank God my mom has waved the sackcloth over my life many times? Amen. Stand with me, if you will, please. Thank you for letting me take some time there in closing that. Getting some things said I didn't have time to say in the early service. Here's what I, I, this is my direction I have for this closing. Here's what I want to do this morning. Here's what I feel like I need to do. I want every grandmother in the house to come to the front, please, first. I want you to come front, come real close, if you will, to me. Every grandmother in the house. Some of you ladies, you're looking around, you're thinking, whew, I'm glad I don't have to go down yet. You're going to be privileged to come down one of these days. Come on, step on in a little closer, ladies. If you can, kind of make one line across. Now I want to ask, if y'all, y'all slide this way a little bit so we got a little more even. That's not just an OCD thing. There's a purpose in it. I want to ask every mom, if you will, to come and stand right behind them. Would y'all maybe take another step this way to give us more room? Every mom, please come stand behind them. If y'all can kind of spread out, because I'm going to have somebody come stand behind you in just a second. I want, all the, I want all the future moms to come stand behind them. 
Every lady in the house that's not a mom or grandmom yet, I want you to come stand behind them. If you can, if you can kind of spread out, if you'll do that. Grandmoms, you know what? Those that just came, those that just came at the, at the end there that aren't moms yet, they so badly need the people between you and them to live the life, to rise up, to be the mom they're supposed to. They so desperately need those people right behind you to, to be the mom they're supposed to be. And this is why I brought you down first, grandmoms, is because I want you to turn around. I want you to face the moms that are standing right behind you. We're going to pray over them. I want you grandmoms praying over those moms. You're, you're the mentors. You're the ones that's already done it. And you're kind of, you're kind of relaxing now, getting to enjoy grand, being a grandparent. It's, you understand what it takes. And they need to know that. And it's those. Can you look beyond them and see the, see the future moms? See the young ladies? Can you look behind them and see? That's the why. Lisa, that's why... It's those back there. That's why you need to pray for Stephanie and Carol. Sister Marianne, it, it, it's Christy back here and Emma. That's, that's why you need to pray for Christy and, and, uh, and these ladies so much. So I want you to do that. But here's one last thing. is You know what? It, it hit me that if Rizpa was out there for five or six months, you know what? She had to have some help. Somebody had to bring her some water and food. Men, come get behind these. I want you to pray for everybody. Grandmoms, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for every one of these moms you possibly can. Pray a moment and move on. And then moms, here's what I want you to do. When you've been prayed for, I want you to turn around and find somebody else. Find Find a future mom to pray for. Come on, and I want, you, I want us to pray for one another, okay? Grandmoms, turn around and pray for a mom. And then moms, turn around and pray for a future mom. And keep praying, okay? And find every, find every young lady you can in this house to pray for. Come on. Come on, Jamie, if you will. Jamie's going to lead us in a final song. Don't you start singing until we finish praying, okay? Amen, amen. Go ahead, moms. Go ahead, moms.